This episode of The Candid Frame is sponsored by Charcoal Book Club. The Charcoal Book Club is the monthly subscription service for photo book enthusiasts. Working with the most respected names in contemporary photography, Charcoal selects and delivers essential photo books to a worldwide community of collectors. Each month, members receive a signed first edition monograph and an exclusive print to add to their collections. Join the club by visiting charcoalbookclub.com and use the promo code THECANDIDFRAME at checkout and receive a 10% discount on your first membership payment. Happy New Year, and welcome to a new season of The Candid Frame. I'm looking forward to a lot of things this year, including some great conversations that I'll share with you in the coming months. Along with some names you know, I hope to introduce you to talented photographers of all genres who are creating amazing work and demonstrating the many different ways one can lead a photographic life. To lead off this year, I thought that instead of a standard interview, I'd sit down with an old friend of the show, Jeffrey Sidoris. Jeffrey and I have sat down together many times over the past 15 years, and those episodes have often received the greatest response from listeners. We have a great rapport that's built on solid friendship, mutual respect, and a passion for being creative. If you don't already subscribe to his podcast feed, I highly recommend it, not least of which is because he is one of my favorite interviewers. If you like what I do, you will definitely enjoy the work that he's doing. This is Ibarian X, and welcome back to The Candid Frame. Jeffrey? Yes, sir. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Again. (laughs) I love it. <laughs> I, I couldn't think of a better way to start out 2021, honestly. I mean, yeah. it's, I am always energized. I'm always just super charged by having, com- whenever you and I get the chance to talk. So what better time than, than day two of this new year? Yeah, yeah. And I just didn't want to have my interview hat on today. Right. You know, I just wanted to chat because I really have not had much of a chance to chat with much of anyone, Right. you know, for a while now. You know, with all the craziness that's that's going on, it's it's you would think. Uh, oh, is, wait, is something going on? <laughs> 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 what have I, I? I've been in the basement for a long time. Something I know. happening? I don't know what's Looking going on. Looking at yourself in the mirror all the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you, you would think that you would. Now that you know everybody's home relatively, that you could just sit down and chat with people. But it seems I'm just as busy as I ever was. Yeah, same. People still have things going on. I mean, you know, this this is an obstacle, but it is, we've had, you know, 11 months, 12 months, whatever it's been to kind of learn to work with it. And hats off to those people who are staying productive, staying creative, staying sort of focused. It doesn't always happen that way for me. Yeah. And I think that's one of, been one of the more important lessons that I've, I've picked up from people that I've talked to both for the show and elsewhere is taking inspiration from people that are finding ways of still being productive, mm-hmm. you know, still being creative in some way or another. And that's kind of what I wanted to talk to you about because uh, I've been keeping up with you and with what you've been doing with your painting, mm-hmm. which I'm really impressed by. I got to tell you. Thank you. Me with my photography. And I thought, well, let's just, just riff about, just about that, maintaining creativity and, and how these conversations that we've had over these many years with other creatives has helped, inspired, changed us in whatever way. And we should be able to do that in about five minutes. 
<laughs> yeah, just a just a little a little conversation. You you brought that up, and I don't know that I spend a lot of time consciously thinking about how the people that I've talked to affect me. Not directly. I mean, I certainly reflect on the conversations, and I I do go back and listen to everything often multiple times because I'm sure that you're the same way. Where when when you're in the flow of a conversation. It goes where it needs or wants to go, and sometimes you you are no longer. I mean, you're you're, you're present, but you're no longer kind of aware of what you're saying. And you you go mm-hmm. back and go, "Wow, that that was really good," or "Wow, I should have I should have gone a little deeper there," or "That was an opening that I completely missed," or whatever it is. But I have found that going back and listening to them has provided insight or, or clarification or inspiration that I didn't catch the first time in a lot of cases. Does that happen with you? I never listen to them. Again. You don't? No. Okay. That's okay. interesting. I might, I might need to revisit some of those. I've been thinking about doing that, but again, it's just like finding the time. Yeah. Well, especially for you, you've got like 17,000 episodes, so it would take you a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I may like pick certain conversations to hear. But the, the, the thing is, it's some, I think that some of the more pivotal conversations may not have been with the names that everybody recognizes. Sure. hundred percent agree. Yeah. yeah. And, and so it's like, okay, who do I listen to? And I think it'll just be like a random, oh, let's let me just listen to this one. Right. And see what I can pick up, especially years later after I conducted the interviews, because I know that I've changed. Right. And beyond right, right. and beyond how I've changed in terms of an interviewer, in terms of just what I listened for. Well, and you are so good at I mean, one of your superpowers is the curation process of of choosing your guests. Because at, at this point, you could very easily and have talked to, you know, the 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 top echelon of photographers in the world. But you haven't lost that inquisitiveness, that that drive to find the interesting story, regardless of you know whether or not you're working for Magnum or however many followers you got. You you still are at your core in love with photography and mm-hmm. and and all that that entails. And I that's an inspiration. Well, I'm, you know, I'm lucky I chose a subject that I cared about. Yeah, you know, because yeah. otherwise I don't think I would have been able to sustain it. Mm-hmm. I look online sometimes just to see how many other podcasts that are out there that are still there, and it's amazing to see how many drop out. Because mm-hmm. you know, I can't listen to all the shows that I used to listen to, but sometimes I'll just go and go. Oh, they're not, they're not there anymore. Right. And it's not just the fact that it's a lot of work, but I think that it's just the fact that I can't imagine not doing it. Well, and and you you hit something on the head. You, I think you've got to be in love with the subject matter because it is a lot of work. It's the research, it's the preparation, it's trying to to not bring to the table something that that guest has heard 10, 20, 30, 100 times before and and somehow make it fresh, especially when you're talking to some of these sort of iconic, you know, big photographers who have been interviewed dozens or or more times, you yeah. know. And you have to know the nuance. You have to you have to be I think a fan of inspiration itself to stay sort of fresh and and keep bringing something new, you know, a thousand or whatever episodes into it. Yeah. You know, one of the things when I first met you, you were doing mostly photography. You had painted in the past, but you weren't doing it with any regularity. Mm-hmm. Over the last several years, you've kind of re- have returned to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it really kind of curious to sort of hear you talk about that. 
because I talk to a lot of photographers who have been doing it forever. You know, right. there's been a little gap between um, between them being you know creative in one way, but you did you know for whatever re reasons. But you know, it seems like uh, that your return to painting has been a really interesting manifestation of your creativity and I, and I, and I can I have no doubt that it's reflective of some changes that have happened with you internally. Mm -hmm. and Absolutely. I really is. would love to hear what yeah. that's about because we have never had a chance to really talk about it. Well, I, I think the biggest thing and and thank you for saying all of that. I think the biggest thing is I let go of any expectation around it. I let go of what does it mean to be a painter? What does it mean to be an artist? I let go of that for myself and just let myself return to process. Just let myself return to hands in motion, pigment on panel, and let whatever happen is going to happen, regardless of where it ended up, right? Because, you know, going back uh, for a number of years, when I stopped painting, it was this ridiculous notion that, well, if I'm not going to hang in MoMA, then what's the point? Or if I'm not going to hang you know, in the Getty, well, like, what's the point? If I'm not going to be Pollock or de Kooning or, you know, Rauschenberg, insert whatever artist here, then what's the point? And it was this sort of youthful arrogance that I somehow at 20 years old deserved some station in the artistic community that I hadn't earned. And so I stopped painting for decades, like, I don't know, 22 years, something like that, 21 years. Then I started painting again. And, and produced a, a small body of work and my mom died. So I stopped because it, I stopped doing everything. I stopped, I canceled client work and i just, I mean, I shut down for the better part of a year and didn't do anything. And then slowly kind of woke up again and started making work. But I think the realization that, that maybe only could have come with time and, and with, with experience and experiencing the other things that I had done in the interim. I mean, I bounced around following the things that I was curious about, following the things that I was interested in. You know, after college, I did regional theater for several years, and then I came back and got into practical special effect and was working at a special effects company in LA. And, you know, then kind of computer animation was sort of taking off and I, I had gotten this job at a post-production facility and was interested in editing and, and, you know, computer graphics and sort of everything just sort of built on what I was interested in and curious about and pursuing those things allowed me the freedom to paint without expectation, to paint without feeling like the work had to be one thing or another. And then just recently, just last year, when, when all of this sort of lockdown business, it was becoming clear that this wasn't just going to be two or three weeks, and then we would all be back to normal. I decided to give myself a creative challenge because I was feeling just like everyone else. I was starting to feel like stifled and the weight of the lockdown and, and what that entails was starting to to weigh on me. And, and, you know, people were trying to get busy doing their thing or they were kind of unplugging. So you couldn't get a hold of people for, for whatever reason to, to record. And I thought, well, okay, I've got to keep myself engaged somehow. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I realized that I, that I didn't like about the way I was painting is, is working on one thing at a time. My process is often lengthy and I would get bored by the end of the thing. And, you know, if it takes weeks to do things because you're waiting for layers to dry and you're sourcing materials and all this kind of thing. It just, it wasn't fun. 
Adrian and I were talking about it and I said, okay, I'm going to do multiple pieces at once and, and see how that goes. So I laid out 12 panels and worked on these 12 panels simultaneously and finished all 12 in like a week and a half <laughs> and just went, oh, I'm onto something here. This is different, right? This is different. And so, and this was just before my birthday and I, I was turning 53 and I thought, okay, I've got, I don't, I don't remember how many weeks I had. I think I had like five weeks to finish. I I'd set a target for myself. I wanted to finish 53 paintings by my 53rd birthday. And I did it. I mean, I just, I, I, I did it as a job. I, sh I, I took that, that sort of Chuck Close quote, you know, yeah. the, the inspiration is for amateurs. The rest of us just show up and get to work. Mm -hmm. I showed up and I got to work. I had an idea of what I wanted to do. I planned out sort of uh, how I wanted to proceed. And it, it became a job. I showed up every day. I went down into the studio every day in the morning, painted all day, came up in the afternoon and left it in the studio, left, left all of it behind until the next morning. And then I would go down, paint all day and just plugged away at it. The end of the year, I ended up with uh, just under 70 new pieces of work. Wow. Do, do you think that part of what allowed you to be that creative was the fact that by dedicating yourself to multiple pieces of work simultaneously, that you weren't investing your ego completely into one piece? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. What didn't work here might work over here or over here or over here. So I, I wasn't locked into oh my God, this isn't going where I want it to go. So I'm an abysmal failure. Hmm. It was, a, it was a, 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 a vehicle that allowed me to try different things. And, and it was this kind of sandbox. I, I, I had lots of materials. I had lots of reference material. And if something didn't work on painting A, then maybe it would work on painting G or P or Q, or maybe that goes into the not for, you know, the, 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 the save it for later pile and it ended up being used on, on a subsequent piece of work. I tried not to take myself too seriously and get back to what I enjoyed about it in the first place. And that was watching something develop, watching something appear, emerge from an empty panel or an empty canvas. Yeah. Sometimes I feel it's not so much me taking it seriously, too seriously. It's taking myself too seriously. That too. <laughs> yeah, that too. You know, and, and look, you and I have talked to, a bunch of people and it doesn't matter and, and please chime in on this it doesn't matter what sort of station or level or or where you're at in you in your career everybody feels like an imposter sometimes mm -hmm. everybody feels like what they're doing doesn't matter is crap they've lost it they're never going to get it back is that your experience oh yeah yeah oh yeah you know, I mean, I was able to get that into, you know, get that out of everybody that I talk to. But I, I've, I've talked to enough people to know that that, that that's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, God knows, I feel, I felt it. You know, yeah, like, you and I've talked about it. We, we've we've yeah. been on the phone talking about it. So, but you know, I've I've learned that that's a feeling, and that uh, I don't have to put any weight on it. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm feeling that again. Let me still go. You know, I still need to do what I need to do. Sometimes it gets the better of me, right? You know? But well, you know, that, it's I you know the, if I feel a day where I, I just I'm feeling like that kind of crap, mm -hmm. I don't try to force myself into into fighting it. I just go right, okay, right, today right, I'm right. going to feel like this, and then tomorrow, hopefully not, and usually the next day, um, I feel better, and then I'm able to do what I wasn't able to do the the day before. 
See, I, I feel like I'm lucky though, because I'm doing something different than most of the people that I talk to. You are arguably in the same pursuit. You're, you're, you're doing the same kind of work. So I'm, let me turn this back on you for a minute. How does talking to all of these people from a variety of different sort of genres and, and, and levels, how does that affect what you're able to produce, what you want to produce, and, and how you feel about it once you have produced it? Uh, like like you, you just said about the painting, it's it's about it's about the process, mm-hmm. about putting mm-hmm. the work in. I think that when I had those long dry spells where I wasn't producing work with any level of consistency, uh, it would be incredibly frustrating, right? You know, to talk to people who are out there doing it, regardless of whether they were practicing the kind of photography I was interested in, they were doing something. I do, I no longer feel that way because I'm constantly producing, even though. It's very limited, especially in the past year. I can see that I'm accumulating a, a, a body of work, even though it may not. I may not see a sort of a thematic or or connection between all of them. I mean, most of this past year, my photography has revolved around me going out with my camera while I'm doing chores. Mm, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and a lot of the images that I've created over the past year are largely very graphic photographs of just things that I find while I'm grocery shopping or going to a doctor's appointment or in driving to visit my mom and I see something and I pull over and I, I make the image. I was talking with Arthur Meyerson, who's a, a great photographer and a good friend. And I was sharing some of the work that I had uh, done. And he kind of pointed out that that sort of graphics sensibility that I've been exhibiting in my work on Instagram over the past year was, was there in the images that I made in Japan last year. Mm. Though I wasn't as, as conscious of it at the time. And so it's like, oh, okay, there's a sort of, uh, at least with respect to my way of seeing, there is a consistency that's happening. And so since that conversation and looking at you know, this work and the work that I did in Japan last year, I'm much more conscious of it now. Hmm. So to that degree, I feel like, oh, okay, I am developing, I am changing. I may not be as purposeful as I would say I would like to be, as like some of the photographers that I talk to who are working on specific personal projects, but I nevertheless am taking some some satisfaction from the fact that I am developing and I'm growing. Right. That my way of seeing and my way of making photographs, that that's, that that's evolving and that at some point I'll find a channel by which I can use all of that for a greater purpose. Right. Go, go back to Japan for a second. Mm-hmm. If that was the beginning of the more sort of graphic iteration of, of your work, did you did you know that going in? Did, was there something in Japan that let that come out? Was 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 that the catalyst for it? Or no, it, it's it's always been there. It's hmm. always been there in, in in terms of my photography. But I think that um, I, I shot like seven or eight thousand images while I was in Japan. Holy, I got real snap happy, you know. Wow, first trip. But you know, when I sat down and finally edited down the images to about thirty, thirty or something photographs. That sensibility really informed the images that I thought that worked best mm-hmm. and that reflected that sort of that graphic sensibility right. that, that I'm talking to you about. Were you conscious of it when you were making the pictures or only afterward in the editing did it, did it become apparent? You know, I, I knew that the images felt good when I made them, but mm-hmm. I really couldn't, I couldn't say that it was because I had an awareness of, of that I was seeing graphically is what mm-hmm. made them work or why I gravitated to them. It was just like, that's just the way I saw it. Right. Now it's like, I'm much more aware of that now. 
that I think I have. I mean, it's always been part of the way I've seen. Right, right. Even right. stuff that I shot from 10 years ago. But I never would have ascribed uh, any sort of verbiage or, or description to it. It's just like, well, just the way I see see the world, the way I just comes naturally for me in making photographs. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm always um, making micro adjustments whenever I'm framing things because I'm considering things along the edges of the frame and I can create balance or imbalance in the shot and create tension and all those other things. And so my images are are so much about the small little detail that right. I feel makes or breaks the photograph. Right. And so when I'm looking at other people's photographs, that's what I'm oftentimes looking for. I'm looking for someone who's able to see that way. Cause that for me is it, it, right now is exciting because that's what I want to learn to do better. It's not so much, I'm looking at the, the images, the images in their entirety, but I'm looking to see how carefully someone's saying, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm trying to see whether I can pick up on, if my picking up on that has, my ability to pick up on has that changed as a result. That's why I'm kind of looking at a lot at Ernst Haas, Stephen right. Shore, all these people that I've I've used to I'm used to looking at and admiring their work, revisiting their images, and seeing if I'm looking at them any differently. Mm-hmm. How how if it, if if at all, and I don't know that it does because I don't I don't think you and I have talked about this, but how how does where you're at in your own sort of photography practice how does that dictate or inform who you'd like to talk to is there a connection between sort of where you're at what you're producing or what you're not producing and who you'd like to talk to to maybe unpack some of that or explore yeah i think i think it's i think what i'm, I'm seeing a lot i'm attracted to a lot of people who are photographing uh communities mm. you know they're 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 exploring like small towns, you know, small small groups of of, of people and spending extended time with them. Mm-hmm. And it's not just from the documentary point of view. I'm, I'm really looking at in terms of how they're seeing things photographically. I like photographers that really parse uh, a place and a people in really interesting ways. That they're not just making really interesting environmental portraits, but they're they're looking for the small little details of a person's home or business or the car they drive or, you know, innocuous mundane things that most average photographers could quickly dismiss, but that they're paying attention to. Right. And it's amazing to me how many young photographers seem to be adept at being able to do this, that Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily Mm -hmm. photographers who were seasoned and experienced that are doing this. Some of these younger photographers who are in their, in their twenties are, are tapping into this. And I don't know exactly why it is, but when I see that, I think that excites me much more than than, than anything else, because it's, I think that that's that's how I'm looking now, right? Because of, because of my limitations here, I'm looking for those small little details. I took a picture while I was coming home from the grocery store today of just these two signs um, near the off ramp where I got off at, and you know, I just got out of my car, framed it, made two or three frames, and then I moved on. It's a it's a scene that I've passed by countless times right because i've been living up here like 13 years or something i'm you know i've seen that that spot it's not changed at all the time that i've been here Mm -hmm. but today i saw it but how you see it has changed yeah sure yeah so that's that's kind of like i like photographers that challenge that aspect of my scene and those are kind of people i don't want to be able to talk to yeah it's i i I hear in you and and it's not that you're 
I think your photography is just as, if not more intentional than it's ever been, but your willingness and, and using that, that freeway off ramp is kind of an example of that. Your willingness to see something and move on and let that be enough. Is that, does that feel new? It feels new to me. Does that feel new to you rather than, okay, I'm going to go out and spend the day making pictures today, or I'm going to go spend four hours or whatever, but oh, just yeah. allowing those little moments to be enough for the day. Oh yeah. Yeah. That, that's definitely been, been the case this year because that's mm -hmm. all I've had. Right. You know, I went shooting the other day for about two hours. I maybe came away with six scenes that I examined. Hmm. You know, I wasn't just photographing everything because I was just, I knew what I wanted and I wasn't just going to end up burning frames just for the sake of burning frames. I knew right. what I wanted to find. And so I, 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 I literally was just driving around Pasadena and Altadena, hmm. which I, I much prefer walking through a street, but you know, in terms of me being able to cover the kind of ground that I wanted to, um, I felt that that was just better. And I went out when the light was fairly good. But when I would see something, I would just pull over and I would just make a couple of frames and that was it. And sometimes like today, today will probably be the only time I shot anything. So today I probably shot six frames and mm. I got one that I was really pleased with and, and I'm good. Right. And then the rest of the day I get to dedicate to writing magazine articles and cleaning the house. Right. I'm, I'm fine with the fact that all I did really today was make one photograph that I was pleased with. Right. That for me is good enough. And I don't think and, I would have said that. I would have said that years ago. Absolutely. I mean, look, you and I have talked about going out for hours or days at a time and coming back with nothing. So yeah. the fact that you were able to bear witness to something in a new way that you pass every day or every other day or whatever you know the frequency is, but see it in just enough of a different way and make that choice to stop not well i'll come back and get this later or you know what I, i've got to oh, i've got to get home and do this or to make that choice stop get out take the pictures and move on that feels like it's it's not an uncommon story for some photographers and artists uh, as a result of the pandemic we're valuing time in a different way i think in, in your paintings seems that there is a very strong point of view, especially political. Um, <laughs> surprise, surprise. Oh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I, I, you know, the, the conceptual thing is something that's fairly new to me to think about in terms of my own work. Mm -hmm. But I've always been intrigued by people who sort of go in with that as if maybe not a starting point, it being an integral part of what they're what they're doing, how does that start? Do you do you, do you, do you sketch? Do you just start working on something and something gets revealed to you? I mean, it's so different for for me as a photographer, or at least as a photographer I have been, to really sort of get how you. Well, how the, you the narrative it. pieces, or the, the the pieces that I I I want to be some sort of narrative. I previs everything. I I have folders of of digital assets i have piles of vintage magazines and ephemera and documents and and things that end up making their way in there somewhere and it may start with with me just arranging elements on a on a piece of paper and then i'll photograph that bring that into the computer and start moving things around or or add and subtract things and and get a a, a previs of of kind of where i want to go with it Sometimes there's a story in the back of my head. Um, I, I did a, a series, it's an ongoing series, but I started it in 2014, I think. 
uh, called Redacted that's about this husband and wife espionage, like couple that, that are committing espionage in, in the Cold War. And there's this fictional kind of narrative arc to it. So I had an idea where I wanted to go with it. And then it was a matter of finding uh, photographs and, and, you know, documents and, and combining those in a way that, that felt, I don't know, right. Mm. But that's where a lot of inspiration comes in from other sources, film titles, um, the stuff that, that, that Kyle Cooper did for, you know, for seven comes into play, uh, the film titles for the Americans, uh, the, the titles for catch me if you can. Um, and, and for Christmas, Adrian got me this monster of a book on the work of Saul Bass, which I know will find its way into my own work. Cause I've been a fan of, of Saul Bass's work for years. And, you know, Maurice Binder, the guy who did the, the titles for all the Bond films. Um, and then, you know, the, the, the people that have been inspiring me in one way or another for decades, the, the Chris Ashworths, the David Carsons, the Vaughn Olivers, the, you know, all that stuff makes its way in there somehow. It may not look like their work, and I hope that it doesn't, but it, it all gets in there somehow. I don't really mean for them to be political per se. I just really like, I like the visual style of propaganda. I, I always have. I, I like old, you know, World War II posters on on the American side, on the Russian side, on the Chinese side. I, I, I think they're fascinating. I think they're they're really terrific pieces of art and design. And if I can let that inform what I do and, and come up with something that, that you know, works or, or pleases me as much as some of that work, then I think I've done okay. You know, regardless of where it ends up, most of the stuff just ends up in the basement. You know, it's, it, it's not going anywhere uh, or it hasn't gone anywhere yet. I mean, there are, there are some things that Adrian and I have talked about moving forward, but the actual making is, um, you know, it, the narrative stuff is previsd, and some of the pattern-based work, it just comes out the way it comes out. And I don't really think about it too much um, because I find that if I think about it too much, I think of reasons not to do it or I think of reasons why it's not working so I'll come back to it later, you know, rather than just staying in motion. How do you think this practice is compared to when you were practicing photography? You know, that's a, man, that's a great question. I, well, look, I, I don't think I've ever been, I think I'm a competent photographer. I don't think I'm a great photographer. I, I rarely even think that I'm a good photographer, but I have, I have managed to capture some pictures and, and see some scenes that I'm, that I'm proud of and that I'm pleased with. I feel like the kind of photography that I was doing, and that is by and large just street photography, is based on observation. And I think it's amazing when it's done well, and, and there are hundreds of examples of, of people that have done it well, and, and not just the big, not just the Saul Leiters and the Fred Herzogs and the, you know, Walker Evans and whoever, but anybody who is able to observe and be present, I have an enormous amount of respect for. But the art director in me, the designer in me, would prefer to be on the Crudson side of manufacturing a world to then photograph. So I, I, I really got to a point where I wasn't, I wasn't able to, to make the kind of pictures that I wanted to make. So I decided to, to start painting again. 
and and let that be another outlet. I mean, at the end of the day, I, I enjoy it all for different reasons. And uh, this stuff kind of comes in seasons. And right now I'm in this this season of 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 making work, painted work. But I also feel like I'm on the precipice of either diving back into photography and and getting into alternate printing like gum bichromate or, or something like that, or going kind of the opposite side and and trying my hand at wet plate because I I I need the accidents to feel maybe fulfilled. Maybe that's maybe it comes down to that. That I yeah. I want to have a hand in it, but I also want to let the work, whatever the work is that I'm doing, I want to let it go where it wants to go. And I want to I want to realize that that I don't have all the control that you know I wanted to have in my twenties or thirties. How long have you been married now? Five years. Five years. Coming up on five years. Five years. So it seems from what I picked up that you 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 talk with her a good amount about what you're doing. And I talk to her about everything that I do. Yeah, yeah, and I know that that didn't exist when you were single for the most part. <laughs> no, it didn't. <laughs> you know, you you talk with Bill for a good amount of time about yeah. creativity, but I, yeah. you know, it was, um, but I don't think a lot of you was coming to the fore a lot. There would be a right. lot of discussion in terms of tech, in terms of creativity, in terms of business, especially about Bill's work. Right. But in terms of uh, you having sort of a person to riff off of on a really personal and intimate level, how is that, do you think, is influencing what you're doing? Well, she, number one, she's a lot smarter than I am. So there's that. That's always a good thing to marry. That is, yeah, there's that. But Adrian, Adrian's a sociologist. Adrian has an enormous amount of insight around meaning, around collective meaning, around the meaning of symbols, the meaning of tropes, the meaning of things that are much more macro in scale than just what does this mean to me. We have a lot of discussions around art and music and film and how all of those things become meaningful in society and 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 how shared experiences matter and how you know sort of all of this stuff is connected and i think one of the big things that that adrian has allowed me to do and encouraged me to do and and i think in large part giving me the given me the tools to do is to think about meaning in a different way to think about what the conversations that i have with people mean and what their experience allows the exchange to mean. And, and it's not just me. I mean, she, one, of, one of the things she loves to say is it all counts. And I don't know that I ever believed that to the degree that I believe it now. So in that respect, she has allowed me to see that it doesn't matter what form of expression I'm engaging in today, that it's all part of this, this greater body of work that the meaning of that won't be felt by me alone. The meaning of that work is is shared. And I think, you know, you've built that as well with there's there's no way that you could have predicted or or foreseen what kind of impact the conversations that you have with other creators have had on generations of past and present makers. It's only through realizing that 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 meaning is shared, that meaning is collective, and that that we ourselves are a small part of that. And I think that's what one of the things that Adrian has al- allowed me to do is realize that I am not the end-all, be-all of anything. I'm just a point on the curve. Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's a great insight to have.
When it comes to collecting photography, I prefer books over prints. Now, don't get me wrong. I love a well-made print, but I only have so much wall space, and I don't like the idea of having a great print sitting in a drawer. Photo books are meant to be handled over and over again. I love thumbing through my favorites, even after years of owning them, hoping that I'll be able to discern some new insight from those pages. They are my encyclopedias for photography, and the information found in them has been and is invaluable. That's why I'm so pleased to have Charcoal Book Club as a sponsor. They curate and provide members a great way to begin or accentuate their collections and have access to some of the best bodies of work available today. They curate and offer books from great contemporary photographers. And as part of your membership, each month you'll receive a copy of a new book and a collectible print to add to your collection. They offer free shipping to the U.S., Canada, and the U.K. It's subsidized elsewhere. And if you're not feeling that month's selection, that's okay. You can swap it out for a different one of similar value. Visit their website to see what they've offered in the past and what you have to look forward to. Join the club at charcoalbookclub.com today. And remember to use the code THECANDIDFRAME at checkout and receive a 10% discount on your first membership payment. And thanks to the many of you who have chosen to support The Candid Frame financially. Your contributions have allowed us to continue to produce this show on a weekly basis and meet all the costs of production. If you enjoyed the past season but haven't contributed yet, it's not too late, and it's easy to do so by becoming a Patreon supporter. You can do that by contributing $5, $10, $20 or more a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash thecandidframe. Just $5 a month will make a big difference. Thank you, as always, for your support. Yeah, because I, I forget whose work I was looking at, but I, um, but it was that, that idea, that, that, that understanding that the work is always incomplete until it's shared. Mm-hmm. Um, was really pointing. I think. I think it was. Uh, I think it was an interview with a musician who brought it up. But I think any creative effort, it really, whether it's a photograph, whether it's painting, whether it's a sculpture, whatever it is, right? It's really you know, almost there until you finally share it with someone. Regardless of how they respond to it, it's the response that you know really completes it. I, I believe that, and I don't know that I did ten years ago, five years ago, even. I don't know that I did believe that. I think that I. I thought that the work that I produced had to be more important than it really has to be because the importance, the relevance, the, the, the impact, you know, it it goes beyond what we can see in numbers. You know, I don't, I don't know how many followers or subscribers you have, but I guarantee you that the impact that you've had the meaning that you have given to people's work and their creative pursuits far exceeds anything that's shown in a metric. I found that I got hung up on that. Mm. You know, I, I right now I couldn't tell you how many subscribers I have to the podcasts. I couldn't tell you how many listens I have because I don't care. Yeah. That's not what matters. What matters is that person that takes the time out of their day to send you an email to say, here's what I'm going through, here's what I've learned, or here's what I've experienced as a result of listening to something that you put out into the world. That's important. But 
you know, likes and subs and all this other oh, nonsense. Yeah. I don't care yeah. about any of that. Yeah, because I'm getting, you know, I'm getting messages from people to an increasing degree over the past year or two, mm-hmm. more so than I've ever gotten in a, in a long time. And it's like, what's going on? Yeah. And I'm not doing anything any different, right? But I, I know that something's changing. Yeah. But like you said, I don't look at the matrix. matrix no. and I don't because that's not the real value. Oh, the real no. value is that email you just got. The real value is, is that person that you, well, when we could go outside, <laughs> that person that you <laughs> run into at an event or a, or a workshop that picked up a camera or that felt their work go to another level or that took a photo of their husband or wife or child or like whatever it was because of something that you said either directly to them as a response or that you said to someone else in conversation. That's the value. You know what's That's where it's important. About that point that you just made. Hmm. And, I think you, and I think you'll probably sort of agree. And if you don't, let me know. <laughs> that somehow, that because this comes relatively easy to me, to, yeah. to talk to someone and to post something and to share it, that the fact that that has an impact, I'm less concerned about whether people like it or dislike it even though my photography is doing the very same thing. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. how I personalize my photography to a greater degree than I do what I do with the, than what I do with the podcast. Would you say that that's something? I think that's true. Yeah. I mean, I think that's true. I, it's, you know, it's a, it's a weird thing because you, and, and maybe because it feels like the, the work that you're creating is it feels somehow more purposeful or, or, or intentional, um, which uh, is sort of ridiculous, but because I think you do, uh, as as do I. You you love the research side of it. You love the curation side of of you know uh, who should I approach? This person's doing something that interests me. I think they would be fascinating. Like all of that is purposeful and intentional as well. But but somehow, and and maybe you hit the nail on the head. Maybe because it doesn't feel like work because it's enjoyable and. I don't want to come off sounding like an idiot saying that it's it's easy, but but feel free I'm, to come off as an idiot. It's <laughs> <laughs> never stopped me before. <laughs> but I think you're right. I think there is a part of it that if you are of that mindset to be present and and have these conversations and enjoy them the way that we do, it is easy. It is easy. You know what what is our job? Our job is to connect with someone and create enough space that they feel safe enough to share their story. Whatever story that is, yeah. Because I, I think you and I are are the same in that. If we've gone to the length to approach you to have a conversation, uh, speaking for myself, I don't care what you want to talk about. I'm in because right. if it's gotten to the Absolutely. point where I've reached out for you, reached out to you, I don't care what we talk about. I'm a fan. I'm in. We can talk about whatever you want. I will be there, and I will be a hundred percent present, and I will try to do my best for you to feel heard. And to communicate what it is that you want to communicate. I don't care what it is. Yeah. There's something about, there's a beauty um, to a conversation. Yes. There's such, it's, you know, I go back to Studs Terkel, who is probably my, my, my hero. Same. To, and, Same. Uh, go read Working, listeners. If you haven't read Working, oh. go read it. Or go to the Studs Terkel Foundation and listen to some of his, what, 7,500 recorded conversations or something mm-hmm. over 50 years. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, I'm no, sorry. I just, I, just like, I love that. I, when yeah. I first discovered him, I was just like, oh my God, he's just a genius. Yeah. 
I think I went with any intention of emulating him, but I've kind of realized that I've, I've created my own studs circle experience with this yeah. show. Same. Yeah. And I, I think that there is, you know, he, he, it didn't matter who he spoke to. There was respect. Yeah. There was space. There was interest. He was never waiting for his turn to speak. And I mean, isn't that kind of a great place to be? To just be interested in another person and, and for that person to feel like you're generally, genuinely rather interested in them. I think that's amazing. I mean, that's what's not to like about that job. You, I'll turn to the question that you asked to me earlier. How has what you've been doing in terms of your own work, the, all the conversations that you've had, how has that changed the people that you want to sit down and talk to and how you talk to them? Well, there, there came a point that I was finally comfortable because, you know, I stayed in photography for a long time, both with, with Bill on, on taking pictures and then in the things that I was doing sort of extracurricularly outside of that, they were still, by and large, in the realm of photography. And over the last several years, uh, you know, I've dipped my toe into artists and musicians and writers and, and other people, other types of uh, creative expression. And that's what I want to do more of on the creative side. But, you know, one of the things that I had planned for 2020 was to, going back to studs for a second, was to, to do a new show called A Day's Work that was really kind of modeled and, in, in my mind, a continuation of what studs had started 60 years ago. And that is just talking to everyday people. I want to talk to people who wait tables and fix shoes and, you know, stand at crosswalks and, and talk to them about their day, about what they do, what they get from their work, what they love about their work, what they hate about their work. Just be interested in someone other than someone we somehow separate or celebrate for exhibiting a skill in a particular area. Yeah. You know, I think I, I have been, oh, boy, man, do I want to say this? Yeah, I do. I think I have been party to sort of almost fetishizing creativity as somehow more than, better than, greater than, more important than. It wasn't intentional in that I believe that. I just really love making things. And I love talking to people who make things. And I love getting the opportunity to put something in the world that is beautiful, interesting, or just a train wreck that you talk about anyway because it's a train wreck. It doesn't matter. As long as there's a reaction. You know, you kind of, you, 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 you hit that on the head earlier in the conversation where apathy is the worst response. Love what I do, hate what I do. Just don't walk by it without saying anything mm. because that's, we all just want to be seen, right? We all want to be recognized and heard, good or bad. And I think I, I love talking to creative people. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that at all and I'm not apologizing for it. But I also really love just talking to anybody. I love finding out your story. I love finding out who you are and what makes you tick and why you do the things that you do. Because in understanding more about you, I get the opportunity to understand more about me. Yeah. And there are a lot of days when I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. Yeah, I think that the, the fact that we're talking about creativity just allows us an easy in mm -hmm. starting the conversation. Sure. Yeah. Because they often drift off, don't they? They yeah. often, you know, we, we may start there, but by the end of it, you're talking about 
a failed marriage or, or a child who passed on or, you know, like something that, that has nothing to do with where it started. Yeah, but like you, that's, those are kind of conversations I'd, li- I'd love to have. Yeah, same. And, and make photographs. Right. You know, at some point, that's, that's something I would just love, love to do, just to have an excuse to be able to sit down and talk with somebody and make their picture, but really gain some insight into who they are and what their lives are, because I think so many of us you know, go, go without that. Mm-hmm. I think that one of the gifts that Studs provided is, is gave, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, my pictures give a voice to the voiceless. And I, I, I never, I've never really liked that, that phrasing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but giving an opportunity for people to tell their own story and to share it. And for me, merely to be the conduit, that I think is, is in the spirit of what he did. Absolutely. And, uh, and I'd like to, that my work, whatever way it sort of manifests itself in the future, that it would be more, more of an embodiment of that than it is now. Not to say that it yeah. isn't, but that it would be all the more gratifying if that were a greater aspect of what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it becomes more, oh, man, what's the word? I mean, it's not relatable. It's not the word I'm looking for. But, but yes, it is that. I guess it's, it, it becomes more human. Everybody's going through <laughs> something, you know? And, and I think everybody has something that they have either gone through or are going through or achieved that we can look at and apply somehow to our own lives. We just don't, for whatever reason, those, those, those aren't the conversations that get told. It's, yeah. it's the quote unquote, I've got my air quotes, the, the bigger conversations that, that get all the juice. And, you know, somebody asked me, you know, what's been my favorite conversation that I've recorded? And I gave them an answer and, and it wasn't anybody you'd think. It wasn't anybody you've probably even heard of, but the story was interesting. Mm-hmm. And the fact that this person who, you know, didn't know me from Adam was willing to sit down and share that story made it far more important and far more meaningful than, oh, really, you were inspired by Abaddon. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and, and if you don't mind sharing, who was that? Uh, it was a guy named Glenn DeCruz, mm-hmm. uh, who um, is a, a musician. Uh, he records under the name North Atlantic Explorers. When I was still involved with OTP, uh, a friend of his sent me a copy of the CD and said, hey, you should, you should talk to my friend Glenn. And I reached out to him and it was such a, and I don't know if it's just, I'm remembering it that way. I mean, I have gone back and listened to it, but there was something about when that conversation happened at the time that it happened and how willing he was to tell that conversation about, you know, doing this record as an homage to his father, who was a sailor in the North Atlantic and, and uh, met his mother in Canada, who was a stenographer, and they had this this incredible connection and life together. And and just his father gave up this, and that it just it was such a, it was like this sweeping sort of epic that hit me. And and I'm a sucker for stories about fathers and sons anyway. I mean, if you want to get me, <laughs> fathers and sons is where it at where it's at. Oh, yeah, yeah and can- and you and I have talked about that online and off oh, um, a lot. There is something about that that narrative between fathers and sons. So, I mean, I was just, I remember being just a wreck listening, you know, back to that. And, and 
good stuff. You know, so those aren't the conversations. I mean, people could say, oh, it must have been great to talk to X or talk to Y. And it is. I'm grateful for everybody that that has uh, been generous enough with their time. But there's something about those conversations that you don't expect and and they stay with you. Yeah. People have asked me that about that particular question and I can never give them a sort of definitive answer. Hmm. Well, you probably have favorites for different reasons, don't you? Yeah. But there's one, there's a photographer named Wyatt Newman who traveled across the country with his daughter, Wyatt Newman. And um, his daughter, I forget how old she was when they, when they worked out on that project, uh, when he worked on that project. And, uh, and he ended up passing away, I think, like a year after I interviewed him. He was really oh, young. He was probably wow. late 30s, early 40s. Wow. How did he pass away, if you don't mind my asking? I can't remember. Hmm. I can't remember what happened. It was, it was unexpected, I think. Wow. But I always just thought about not, not only the tragedy of him passing away um, the, the way that he did, but I thought about the gift that he had given his daughter with that time together. Mm. on that mm -hmm. trip because they spent months together on the on the road wow and then he sort of photographed their um their entire journey together how old was the daughter uh she was probably six or seven. Oh wow really wow. yeah they were very, very very young well when she gets a little older it would be fascinating to have a conversation with her about what she remembers about that trip yeah, she was eight years old yeah yeah wow eight years old. wow but like we were saying, it's like we really don't know what what our work is going to mean, mm -hmm. you know. And I, and I thought that uh, as much as you know, I look at people's work for a variety of different reasons. That the work that he created with his daughter in that in that period of time, right, is going to be in, incredibly special to her. Absolutely. Well, and and not to mention the conversation of her dad talking about it with me. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. what so, a gift that is. So that if, if if there's one conversation I need to listen to again, it's probably that one. Mm -hmm. Just to just to hear him talking about not just the process of making the photographs, but this journey that he had with his daughter. Right. And I think that that's um, and that's episode two forty eight. So that was back in two thousand fourteen. So this is over six seven years ago. Now, goddamn, wow. That's crazy, isn't it? Oh my God, she's like 14, 15 years old. 14, 15, yeah. Uh -huh. Wow. Yeah, it, I, I, would, I would love to, I'm going to go back. I don't know that I've listened to this. I'll go back and listen to this. And then, you know, I'm going to have questions for you. So <laughs> <laughs> we're going to have to do another one of these because I'm going to come back at you. <laughs> but uh, considering we're both in our mid 50s now. Right, right. Uh, thinking about mortality, I know it's probably still oh, way for Always, but no, I always think about it. Just you know, I, I've not really thought about it much, but I think uh, what's really made it palpable is that my both my mother-in-law and my my own mother are suffering from um, uh, dementia and, and mm. Alzheimer's, and you face with two parents simultaneously there in decline. Awful, awful. It's really, just really difficult. But it just also brings into perspective the fact that. The gap in age that was between me and my parents back when I was a kid seemed to be incredibly long. Right. And now it's just like, oh, it's only about 20, 25 years. Right. Right. But it seemed like they were 100. Right. <laughs> right. And so, you know, in the same way that Disneyland seemed really big when you were there when you were five. <laughs> you go, oh, wow. That's <laughs> but, you know, I don't necessarily fear it. Mm -hmm. you know, but it does give a perspective in terms of how I dedicate my time and the things that I choose to do and, and choose not to do. 
May I ask a potentially insensitive question? And if it is, I, I apologize if it if it, if it is. Yeah. I don't. I know you'll you'll know where I'm coming from. But it, are you recording conversations with them as they go through this to sort of not not necessarily to document what they're going through as a health issue? But I know one of the things that I regret is not. I don't remember what my mother sounded like. I don't remember what my father sounded like. And those memories went really quickly. The yeah. memories of what they sounded like, of what their voices sounded like, went far quicker than I expected. And I was left wishing that I really had recorded something. It doesn't have to be, you know, it didn't have to be hundreds of hours, but a conversation here or there that I could hold on to and go back to. Yeah, with my dad, I do have a recording of him that my cousin did with him because my dad mm -hmm. was always reluctant to speak to me. Mm -hmm. When my cousin John came, he his dad had passed away several years before. Mm -hmm. So he was going to interview my dad. and His wife at the time was videotaping it, and I recorded it. Mm -hmm. so he was able to pose all the questions that my dad did, was reluctant to answer to me. Really? I recorded that. And then I did record something with my mom. Did he know he was being recorded? Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, we were the, yeah so that... So, but I've not been able to listen to that. I thought I was finally able to listen to it nope. this year. It's seven years. Yeah. <laughs> nope. Uh, nope. Uh, but I did interview my mom, I think, three, four years ago. When she, mm -hmm. she, she was a lot more lucid. And I am photographing my mother-in-law, who's been staying with us for a year and a half now. Mm -hmm. so I've been documenting her, um, her life with us here. Not so much with my mom, because my mom is... How do I say this? Um, I'm, I'm sure that she's frustrated and frightened by what's happening to her, but she doesn't understand it. Right. And so it, she's easily frustrated, mm -hmm. you know, and it's very difficult to just get her to do some of the most basic things in, you know, for self-care. Right. So introducing a, a camera at this point is, I think, too difficult. Yeah. I mean, understandably, I think yeah. it, it, it's easier with my mother-in-law. Yeah, I, on occasion, I will make photographs of my of my mom, but at this point, uh, interviewing her, I, I wouldn't want to remember her the way she is right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I'm glad that I do have the recording of her me just sitting at the at the kitchen table, hmm. and me asking her about about her life, and I also have another conversation with her and her sister where they were disagreeing about how things happened. <laughs> 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 that's the one you're going to go back to over and over yeah, yeah, yeah. my mother finally walking away and off <laughs> but yeah, yeah I, but when I, I wish I had them but I think about my own uh, luckily I, I've been relatively healthy mm -hmm. you know I think it's been more my mental health that's been more, more a challenge but you know I've been addressing that for the last couple of years uh, but it's 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 witnessing the people around me Right, aging and being in decline that give you a real perspective in terms of do I really want to spend my time doing X? Right, right, right. And there's just so there's so much that I've chosen to do largely because it, it earned me a living, and I've cut out a lot of things. But I, I to be quite honest, there are half the things that I'm doing now that uh, I should cut out. Mm -hmm. But I think I hold on to them because of fear of economic insecurity. Sure. Well, I mean that's a, that's a that's a big and and real and substantial concern. It's not, you know, that that's not insignificant. Yeah, especially especially where I am now. 
Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. So it's not like I'm in my twenties and I can just go screw it. Right. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll reinvent myself at 30. I'm just going to go have fun for now. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I feel like I've learned this lesson from people I know personally, and especially people that I've interviewed for the show, that mm-hmm. sometimes you have to be willing to let things go completely before you can embrace something else. But there's never, there's rarely a, a safe transition from one state into another until you've made the choice to let something go. I think that's true. I think that's a, uh, and I, and I don't know that I would have, I think I would have pushed back with you five years ago before I got here. But I, I, on the other side of that, I absolutely agree with you that, that there are times in your life when the only thing that's going to get you either out of where you are or into where you want to be is drastic and dramatic change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. That's a good place to end it. <laughs> I, I don't have the answer to that one right? i don't have the answer to it i don't have the answer to it i like who i am when i talk to you oh thank you it means a lot to me thank you same here because yeah. quite honestly uh i think you are one of the few people that i talk like this with why you're this seems so natural for you no no i i've just i've always been someone who's been very play, plays it very close to the best well, yeah. that makes me value these even more. Thank you. That's, thank you for telling me that. That's, yeah. I mean, I, I, Adrian knows how I feel about you. I've, I talk about you quite a bit, actually. <laughs> I shouldn't even tell you that. But, but, you know, you, you are one of those people that you're one of the only reasons I miss California. And even though we didn't really talk to each other a lot, it was just the idea that, hey, we could meet at Central Market and have a taco and walk around for an hour or so, or so and, just, and just see what happens. Talking to you now reminds me how much I miss talking to you. Yeah. And, it, and I, I, I say that to myself every time we talk. I just don't say it to you. So in the spirit of, of getting out of my own way in 2021, I'm saying it to you. Okay. Well, you know my last question for you. What's that? Um, my last question is uh, I ask each guest to recommend another photographer or an artist in your case that you would recommend listeners check out on their own. You know, I, I will give you a photographer, and I am new. To, I'm sure I'm new to the party on this. Those of you who are actual photographers probably know and are going to be like, idiot, of course. But um, Dan Wood is the name of the photographer. He has a new photo, uh, photo book coming out called Black Was the River You See. Oh, and title. Yeah, isn't that great? It's uh, Kozu Books is the publisher. And I just discovered Dan's work recently. And boy, he is terrific. He uh, released a book, I think a year, maybe even two years ago now called Gap in the Hedge that I remembered seeing the photos of, but I, I, it, it, it happened in passing and, and I didn't put two and two together. Uh, so it wasn't until recently that I've really found his, his work and pre-orders are now available. Look, this is not a sponsored thing, but pre-orders are available now for uh, his new book, which is uh, I think releasing in March. Okay. But uh, yeah, so Dan Wood is, is the current uh, he's, he's the latest person that I've, I've been really interested in. Thank you for that. And thank you for your time. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Gosh, it's always a pleasure. Always. Thanks to Jeffrey for joining us. Find out more about Jeffrey, his work, and his podcasts by visiting jeffreysedoris.com. 
And if you're a devoted listener and subscribe to the show, write us a review on whatever service you listen to podcasts. Those reviews have allowed us to grow. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel and our mailing list. On the YouTube channel, I offer critiques on images submitted by TCF listeners like you, while the mailing list keeps you updated with all TCF events, including workshops and more. Sign up today. And remember, you can support the show by contributing to our Patreon effort or make a one-time or recurring donation via PayPal. Thanks to Larry and Stephanie Cuneo, Todd Smith, and Yang Zung Kun for their recent contributions. We also provide a series of ebooks on photography available for purchase on our website. It's my way of sharing my experience and knowledge and another way for you to support the show. And if you can't find every episode of the show on whatever service you listen to podcasts, download the Candor Frame app, which is available for both Apple iOS and Android. And because of your generosity, it's free to download and use. No additional purchases are required. The Candid Frames audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker, and our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.